Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Well, it's September. We're starting out a new month, and uh, we have a new book to go with it. Our book of the month is Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Um, it's funny, uh, Reverend Sharon and I were even talking about it between the breaks. She said, you know, this is kind of a, a tough nut to crack in terms of a book. And the reason, I think, one of the reasons is the word God actually doesn't appear anywhere in it, or at least I haven't found it. And so you might be asking yourself, well, well, Larry, so, <clears throat> pardon me, but, but, why, but why'd you pick that darn book if it isn't spiritual? Well, the word God doesn't appear in it. But I gotta tell you, there's something about the study of our intelligence and our emotions that is absolutely spiritual. You know, every Sunday when someone does the opening prayer, every Sunday, in fact, when Reverend Sharon or someone else does the announcements, they always talk about one of the fundamentals of the science of mind, which is that you can change your thinking and therefore you can change your conditions, you can change your life. And I'm here to tell you, if you think it is only through the cool intelligence of your mind and that your heart isn't involved in it at all, your results will vary. <laughs> Don't you love that statement? You know, here's what's going to happen, but your results may vary. Well, if you do not engage your heart in this process, if your emotions aren't an equal part of the process of changing your mind, you are going to have a little bit of trouble in implementing the science of mind in your lives. And so that's why this month we're going to talk about this idea of emotional intelligence. I think a great place to start with the book is The Promise. And uh, first of all, let me just explain. Uh, Daniel Goleman is really a researcher by nature. So he's not a doctor. And, and he's not even really a self-help help writer. So the book is a little different. And nonetheless, uh, you can always dig the promise of a book, I think, out within the first chapter or two. And here it is. I envision a day when emotional intelligence will have become so widely understood that we need not even mention it because it has melded with our very lives. Emotional intelligence qualities such as self-awareness, managing destructive emotions, and empathy would be givens in the workplace, the must-haves for being hired and promoted, and most especially for leadership. If emotional intelligence were to become as widespread as measuring IQ intelligence has become and as ingrained in society as a measure of human qualities, well, then I believe our families, our schools, our jobs, and our communities would be all the more humane, nourishing, and successful. His premise here, and I think this is fascinating, you know, for years and years we have thought or imagined that perhaps one of the key traits for success is high intelligence, that the smarter the, we are, the better we'll fare in the world, that we'll be more apt to do better at work, that we'll be more likely to get the better jobs, that with increased intelligence will come um, increased uh, earnings capacity and gen general happiness. You know what? The studies actually don't show that at all. What the studies show is that only about 20% of what we think of as success can be explained by intelligence. And, and it will be interesting to note, too, that, you know, if you graph out intelligence on one of those bell curve kind of things, where does 20% of the way up get you? Right at about average intelligence. So if you don't have 
average intelligence, yes, it's likely that you may have trouble getting the jobs you want or you may have uh, some extra struggles ahead of you. But once you get up to just an average level of intelligence, believe me, the millionaires in the world, the highly successful business people, the, the show business entertainers, you know, you name it, the people you might think of in whatever field it is as successful are no more apt to be smarter than any of the other people around them. So, so how much do we base our success in terms of raw intelligence? Only about 20%. Now, Goleman might lead us down a path into saying, well, the other 80% is our emotions. But, but I noticed in the 10th anniversary edition, he actually put a disclaimer, which is a good thing, because he got some bad rep when the book first came out 10 years ago, uh, claiming that he said, you know, 80% of success then was based on how we handle our emotions. And in, in his updated version of the book, he says, well, I don't really know what the other 80% is, but I know that a good deal of it is emotional intelligence. That a good deal of what makes us successful, especially, especially with other people, with our families, in our workplace, in groups, and in our communities, is our ability to actually be good at emotions. Not just our, uh, the processing power of our brains, but actually good at our emotions. So that's where we're going to start today. And I think a great place to start would be perhaps a joke about emotions. <laughs> Did I fool you? Not really. Okay. So this is a story about a husband and a wife that had really been arguing a bit. Well, maybe that's even making it a little mild. They were out and out fighting, calling each other names, uh, you know, doing the things that people do when their buttons get pressed and then they react and press another button and pretty soon all the buttons have been pressed and there's name calling and swearing and all that kind of stuff. And finally one day the husband said, I think we could use some counseling. It's like, I'm exhausted from all the fighting, all the emotions on the edge. I'm just exhausted. Let's go to a counselor. So the wife set it up. Things were going okay. But you know, partway through the counseling session, the husband started getting upset again. In fact, rage, misery, insecurity, hostility, all these things came out in him. He was really an emotional wreck and becoming somewhat abusive and unkind. Before the end of the session, the fellow found himself shouting, You're just a worthless no account. I hate you and I wish you'd never walked into my wretched life. Well, Ashamed to say, he watched her burst into tears and run out of the room. Why did you say those horrible things? She's only trying to help, said my wife. <laughs> Do you see how our emotions can get the best of us? What we perhaps don't realize is how our emotional makeup actually started. So let us picture ourselves maybe 100,000 years or so ago. We wouldn't be sitting in the room. We'd perhaps be out on the African veldt. And I might be one of the first few people that noticed over a sea of grass a kind of a tawny little dome shape with maybe some hair sticking up way in the distance. And I would instantly know which of three things I needed to do. One, if that tiny little shape was a lion's head or a saber-toothed tiger back in those days, I would know to sound the alarm so that I and my family could head back for the cave. 
let's call me Ugg. Instead of Larry, I'm, I'm Ugg for the day. And Ugg would have had an emotional response of let's get the heck out of here because there's no way we can deal with that saber-toothed tiger. Or if the shape was just infinitely different, I might see it as the tip of an antler. I might see it as something that would allow me to sound the call, let's get our clubs or let's get our bow and arrows because there's game. And in the same just fraction of an instant, I'd be sounding the call for us to go hunting. And this would happen on a completely instinctual level. This wouldn't be the, well, you know, we're kind of hungry or we're kind of not. You know, we hunted last week and, you know, we'll probably be okay. Or if it was the saber-toothed tiger, it wouldn't be the kind of, well, he's not that close yet. Um, I, you know, I estimate the distance as, I think we'd be okay. Maybe he'll go that way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It wouldn't be any of that. It would be instantaneous. And our brains were actually evolved that way. The limbic system of our brain, if you picture our arm being our backbone, sitting right on the top of it is our limbic system. And it even looks a little bit like a little donut. And that's where all of our primitive emotions evolve. That's what causes us, that's actually what allows us in an instant to make a staff decision. But I gotta tell you, have we ever made ones that we kind of wished we didn't? Have you ever felt that heat of rage come upon you and you just wished you had a gun in your purse? Do you know what I mean? Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating. <laughs> well, I don't carry a purse, Sharon, but the equivalent, the equivalent. <laughs> Have you ever got into a fight with someone and you just, in that instant, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that we followed through or did anything, but in that instant, it's as though, you know, the anger of that saber-toothed tiger chasing you was there and you would have flown off the handle. In fact, let me ask the question another way. Does everyone here remember a time when the next morning they re -re really regretted something that they said or did the <laughs> night before? Most likely it was because your limbic emotions were involved in it. In that instant you had that fight or flight mechanism take a hold of you because some part of you, even if it doesn't make rational sense, even if you know your boss wasn't actually hunting you down and gonna kill you, there was that instant where your limbic system said, oh, gotta do something here, gotta say something, gotta get out of this, and you acted upon it. Okay, limbic system. Now, uh, on top of the limbic system, over the course of a few hundred thousand years, developed your neocortex. So if you imagine that little donut surrounded by some more brain material, that's your neocortex. That's the thinking part. That's the rational part of your brain. But what's interesting is, it's also where your higher emotions exist. And so emotions such as sympathy, emotions such as gratitude, emotions such as um, romantic love, all of those, all of those things that we, we actually feel it in kind of a thinking way as well as, a, as an immediate kind of way, those actually take place in a different part of your brain. And for those of you who've been in computer science a few years, I'd like to use a little bit of an analogy around how this works together. 
So if you've been around long enough, you remember an IBM XT with a 286 processor in it. Very old technology. Some of you are nodding. Some of you who are older than, say, 40 are nodding. Just imagine your grandmother's computer and you'll be there. Okay. So take a 286 and then on it, solder on the fastest, blazing fast graphics processor, a, 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 an Innova card or something like that. We'll solder that on and then let's give it a few terabytes of memory too. Do you see the problem here? The problem is you're funneling all of this horsepower, all of this capability, you're funneling it through this old processor that only has a certain amount of processing, only has the limitations that it is built with. And so as much as I would like to say, oh, it's easy for us to disconnect this limbic reaction, right? So that when someone cuts us off in the freeway, we can just say, oh, la, la, la. <laughs> as much as I would like to say that's possible for us, no. You're going to get that adrenaline jolt that makes you want to get the gun out of the glove compartment. You just are. <laughs> and I would say it's okay because then it gets passed on to our higher functions and then we can take a breath and we can say, oh, phew, okay, someone just cut me off. No matter what we were to do here on Sunday, no matter what training courses you're going to go through, your limbic brain is still going to be in function. And it's okay. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel you're, like you're a savage or that you need to be locked up. It's what we do with the feelings from then on is what Daniel Goleman is talking about in terms of emotional intelligence. And actually, we wouldn't even really want to get rid of the limbic system. Let me read you this newspaper article. This was just from a couple months ago. And stories like this crop up all the time, and they're not just stories. Whenever the subject of people suddenly getting a wave of superhuman strength in a scary situation, I feel like the same example is always given. A man lifting up a car to free a trapped baby. We never hear a skinny 22-year-old lifts up a BMW all by herself in order to free her trapped father. Well, guess what? That's the newspaper article. Alec Kornoski was outside working on his car when the jack slipped, causing the 3,000-pound BMW 525i to fall on top of him. His daughter, Lauren, 22, 110 pounds, who just happened to be leaving the house at the time, found her father unconscious underneath the BMW. She did what any good daughter would do. She lifted the car, she moved it to the side, dragged her dad out, performed CPR, and then drove him to the hospital in the same BMW. Now, I might suggest <laughs> that when our limbic system kicks in, we could still dial 911 also. <laughs> I mean, maybe the ambulance could have helped them with the last part of that. But our limbic system is actually a good thing. Can you imagine if we didn't have it? It would be like, oh, wow, it, it looks like a train's coming. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. I recognize that wispy smoke. It must be a steam engine. Getting pretty close now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like the fight or flight response is perfectly legitimate. And there are times when we absolutely need it. 
We need that level of, of strength and, uh, and adrenaline rushing through our bodies sometimes to literally save us and the people that are important to us. I think the issue is more one of balance. Here's the way that David Goldman talks about it. He says these, oh, wait a minute, yeah, these two minds, the emotional and the rational mind, operate in tight harmony for the most part. They intertwine their very different ways of knowing to guide us through the world. Ordinarily, there is a balance between emotional and rational minds with emotion feeding into and informing the operation of the rational mind and the rational mind refining and sometimes even vetoing the inputs of the emotions. That's the way it's supposed to work. Haven't we known people, though, that seem emotional all the time to their detriment? People who, who really um, are angry like all of the time and get into outrageous uh, battles at the checkout stand at Safeway and, uh, and, and when cars cut them off in the freeway. I mean, their faces light up and get purple and, and oh my gosh. And likewise, haven't we known people that just walk around with a mantle of sadness or some other emotion to, to the point that it, it kind of de, uh, you know, ma- makes them unable to almost function in the world? Well, that's one side of the pendulum. Seen a good Ingmar Bergman film lately? Have you, is everyone familiar? Well, he did those early Swedish films in the, in, in the 40s and 50s. And, you know, something horrible would happen and the two main characters would sit in their blonde furniture and, and just talk to each other about it. Oh, yes, your father died last night. Yes. What, would you like some tea? <laughs> so the other extreme... Actually, I love Ingmar Bergman, by the way. But still, it portrays a kind of stoic way of being where emotions are never expressed. Unfortunately, a whole lot of us are a little more on the edges of that than they are in the middle. And I'll own up to it. In my family, around the age of 10, my father said, you're 10 now, you're grown. There's no need for these emotions. So what if you skinned your knee? And he schooled my mother into saying, don't put Band-Aids on him. He, he knows where they are. Guys need to learn how to toughen it up a little bit. This is a hard world. Let's, let's get with the program here. You know, I suppose if I, I would have had a, 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 you know, a good fist fight, maybe that would have, you know, maybe anger would have been okay. But pretty much the other emotions were not okay. I'll own up to that. The beauty of David Goldman's work is that he says we can make changes in it. It's not like IQ. And in fact, the idea of emotional intelligence is much more positive than the idea of intelligence quotient. IQ, you're just kind of born that way, right? It's like you can get a test when you're 10 and a test when you're 40 and a test when you're 80 and your IQ pretty much stays the same. It may vary a little bit. But what this book, what I love about Dan Goldman's work is he says, we start where we are, right? We may be somewhere in the middle of that continuum. We may be on the far ends of it. We start where we are. We can always get more productive, more intelligent about our emotions. To that end, 
he highlights in the very first chapter some of the things that help us to become more intelligent around our emotions. First of all, we have to get good at reading emotions, right? So I got to know what's going on inside me. I remember having the, my teenage years in this kind of stoic family where not a lot of emotions were expressed because it was seen as not appropriate. I went off to college and oh my God, I discovered people were different. <laughs> I discovered there were people that cry all the time. There were people that actually want to get into fist fights with you for no apparent reason. I discovered that there was a world of emotion out there. And I got to tell you, it puzzled me because I didn't even see it coming until it was in its full drama. Do you know what I mean? Even in myself, I wouldn't notice that I was really angry or really sad until literally there would be tears or until literally, you know, I'd look in the mirror and it's like, wow, Larry, purple, that's an interesting color on you. <laughs> we need to know what's going on inside of ourselves. And the more granularity, with the more granularity we have, too. It's not just sad and mad, right? There, there's a thousand different emotions that all have nuances in what they make, right? I mean, angry is not just angry. It's also exasperated. It's also confused. If you think about it, some of the big emotions are just the umbrella under which we put a thousand other words that have a lot of granularity and a lot of truth around what you're really feeling, right? Is it anger or is it betrayal? Is it anger or is it something else? What is going on in you right now? Most people can't even answer. Most people can't answer. If you talk to someone, well, what are you feeling right now? They'll say, I feel fine. And you'll say, well, no. <laughs> Let me back up a minute. What feelings are going on in you right now? Most people will just say, <laughs> what are we, like, stop. <laughs> Most people are not used to even talking in that way. And yet, if we don't know what someone's feeling, if we don't know what we're feeling, how can we respond in a way that's compassionate? How can we respond in a way that will match them where they are? This is one of the great flaws with the business world where we think it all depends on our intelligence and our job skills and that should be it. And let me tell you, if you've ever worked with a group of people and one of the members in that group is having an unusually hard time at home or has lost a loved one, if the group does not address that situation, you might as well say that group is non-functional for a while. It's like the emotions of, of the one person in a group of 10 people absolutely will have an effect on the productivity of everybody. And the more that group can understand what's going on, the more that we as individuals know what's going on in the lives of the people around us, the people we work with, our family members, what their hearts are telling them, the more effective that we will be. The other thing that Daniel Goleman says is important in this whole process of emotional intelligence is not just reading emotions, but actually processing them as individuals. And so the processing of them is that balance between the limbic system and the neocortex. That's, the, that's the, when that wave of anger comes over me or that wave of sadness hits, when that, that inexplicable feeling of dread or fear or whatever happens, it's like, okay... Do I need to lift the BMW? It's like there needs to be that instant of do I need to have the, the raw power of the emotion carry me through here? Or I'm going to maybe count to three. 
maybe count to five. <laughs> My mother always said 10. I never had to go that far. But maybe we need to have a pause in what's going on to really see if I need to process in the emotion in some more intelligent way. Is it an emotion that's calling me to take some action? Right? Because anger is a good thing. Anger tells you that something's not going right in your world. And sometimes something needs to be done about it. Sometimes you need to call the policeman. Sometimes you need to call 911. So, sometimes you need to do the things that will make you safe or make you happy or, or cause something to, to happen differently in your world. And we need to heed that signal. That's why it's there. That's why the, the limbic system can heighten it up to where we go, okay, I got to take care of business. But you know what? So very often, it isn't the train coming at us. So very often, it's the boss and not a saber-toothed tiger. And neither running, nor attacking, nor mating <laughs> would be the answer. <laughs> well, that's one of the other limbic functions. <laughs> and so then we really have to think, well, then how do I process this, right? If it's intense anger, I got to tell you, there are times when I take the tennis racket out of the closet and just whack the heck out of the top of the bed in the spare room. And this is a good thing. Because if there's nothing to be done, right? If there's nothing in the real world that is going to be done here, I still have that feeling. And if I lock it up inside me, I mean, oh my gosh. Two or three weeks of locking a few similar emotions inside me and that anger is going to come out. And it's probably going to be at a court council meeting or, <laughs> or on Sunday or you know, sometime when it's totally inappropriate. So let us work it out. And there's all kinds of wonderful techniques. We're going to learn some more of them this month on how you can work through yourself some of the powerful emotions that come to you that are inappropriate, that you're not going to use to actually act on in a positive way. So we're going to deal with some of that later in the month. One last thing that he talks about is responding to the emotions of others. And this is one of the key things, I think, around emotional intelligence, is if we ignore, if we either don't see, or if we ignore the emotional responses and effects of other people in our life, it's kind of like we're half a person. It's like I'm listening to your words, but not your meaning. It's, it's like I'm showing up, but, but I'm dumbing myself down. And so it's important for us, first of all, to have empathy, to be able to think, gosh, if I was in her shoes, if I was going through what she was going through, might there be some empathy here? Might there be the ability for the two of us to come together in a way that will be positive for both of us? Not just me wanting her life to be different. And I want to talk about that for just a second, because some of the one place that many of us go to is when someone presents us with a mess, we want to clean it up. Most of the time, that's not an appropriate emotional response. We are not here to save anyone. In fact, I, I'm not sure, does it ever really work? I mean, maybe for the short term, people can be saved? I don't know. Maybe, I don't, what do you think? Do you think so? I don't think so. 
I think that our job is to stand as a loving witness. I think our job is to be there in case someone stretches their hand out and says, I need some help. In case someone stretches out their hand to say, I could really use a hug. I could use a safe place to stay tonight. I, I could, you know, just listen to me. Emotional intelligence will inform you what needs to happen. But you got to have that. It's like part of our network of information. It's like, a, it's like having a Wi-Fi device and you shut half of it off. If we're not ready, if we're not listening, if we're not aware of what other people are thinking and feeling, if we don't know how to respond appropriately, we are really losing out in the world. This is what we're going to spend the rest of this month talking about. And of course, you know me, I'm going to leave you with a little homework even today. This is sort of emotional intelligence 101. What are you feeling? This week, I would like you in some granularity to begin to be able to describe your feelings. And feelings don't start um, in this way because I hear people describe their feelings this way all the time. Well, I feel like a train car, you know, ran over me. That's actually not a feeling, that's like a simile. That's like a, a comparison or a metaphor out in the world. So what I really want you to do is to think about, no, what am I feeling? Am I angry? Do I feel betrayed? Do I have a sense of loss? Is there sadness here? And if you are not very good at this, my tip would be get your smartphone or get your alarm watch and set it for, to ring every hour. And every hour, take out one of those little policeman's kind of notebooks, those little ones with the pencil, and write down what you think you're feeling right then. So at least you'll have, what, 15 or 16 instances a day when you checked in with yourself. Now, if you're already good at, pretty good at reading your emotions, I have homework for you, and that would be similarly to check in with other people. So if you've already got yourself handled, then let's take a look at other people. And especially the people that you come in contact with every day, I want you several times throughout the day, in your own mind, you don't need to do it out loud, in your own mind to say, how, you know, how is so-and-so, you know, how's my partner feeling? Because the clues are there. And this is an awareness exercise. You'll, you'll, begin, to, you'll begin to center in on the, the intonation of voices and the little things that are happening and what's going on, what they've said earlier, their tone of voice, their body posture. You'll be able to have a sense, but you've got to start paying attention to it. And then if you want to, if it's someone you feel comfortable with, check it out. Um, I noticed that um, it seems like your shoulders are kind of droopy and are you sad today? Is something going on that I don't know about? And check it out. Check it out if you feel comfortable. But homework this week, your emotions, number one, until you feel like you really could say at any point in time, yes, what I'm feeling is contentment. Yes, what I'm feeling is sadness. Yes, what I'm feeling is outrage. Some granularity. If you, if you don't already have that, I want you to work on that. Otherwise, if you feel fully confident in your understanding your emotions, then start looking at other people. I'm going to close with a final quote from this book. And just to promise that we're actually going to have some fun this week. The book itself, a little dry, but you know me better than that. <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun this week. Here's how he ends this chapter. 
He says, here's the problem. Academic intelligence offers virtually no preparation for the turmoil of the, and the opportunities of actual life. Yet, even though a high IQ is no guarantee of prosperity, prestige, or happiness in life, our schools and our culture fixate on academic abilities, ignoring emotional intelligence. This set of traits, and some might call it character, also matter immensely for our own personal destiny. Emotional life is a domain that as surely as math or reading can be handled with greater or lesser skill and requires its unique set of learned competencies. With well-developed emotional skills, we are more likely to be content, effective, and successful. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one light, one goodness. Just that, that oneness of the universe itself, all-encompassing. And I know that means me. I know that the intelligence of the universe is right here for me to use, for, for me to tap into. And when I say intelligence, of course, it's the brain and it's the heart as well. It's the, the limbic and the neocortex. It is the, the wholeness of Larry and all of my intelligence that I bring into and I foster in this world. And as it is true for me, I know that it is true for each person in this room. Each person here, no matter where you're starting from, has the capability of moving forward in emotional intelligence, the capability of understanding and being able to read emotions better, the ability to have empathy for other people, the understanding of how to process emotions, even the tough ones, with some clarity. This is what I know for this group. So powerful, so clear. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for life showing up in this room today. Grateful for each one of us on our own individual paths and wherever we're starting out. I know that God is in this room and it's beautiful. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here today. Glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.